The Wolf and Bull podcast was prepared, conducted, and hosted by the Wolf and Bull team in their personal capacity. This podcast is for expressive listening entertainment, and any views, ideas, or opinions may or may not extend past the boundaries of this podcast. Conversations or specific comments on behalf of the hosts and guests are for entertainment purposes only. Due to language and potentially offensive topics, listener discretion is advised. Chrysalis stage. His wings are going to expand. He's going to fly do, do like a really monarch. Do that? Yes. It a, it's the wolf He's fly. He's a half wolf, a wolf half fly? monarch <coughs> butterfly. Wolf fly. Yeah. That's great. Fly. Thanks, guys. That's, That's you. there are deer flies. By the way, Maybe um, a wolf fly. There's something I just discovered that is terrifying. I think it's called a wolf eel. Oh yeah! Well, oh absolutely. my god! Those things god. are ferocious, man. What's that? Oh they're, my god! They're they're worse than the moray eels. They're really cool at that they, too. They, oh, no. I don't I've like, seen them up close in person. I'm not a fan of moray eels. They're not hey, really I, cool. I was in the Caribbean once. This was at the turn of the century. As a matter of fact, we went on a cruise that was called Sail into the Century, which I, I loved, and everybody thought Y2K was going to you know stop the whole your world last hurrah and so the world there was ended? This, exactly so there was this old sunken ship and i figured our crews would you know blow up right at the turn of that century and we'd be down there with them but we, of course we swam on this and we snorkeled down to this this wreck which was i don't know how far down it was i, I could say it was 40 feet but it was probably 15 you know yeah. but anyways oh shit yeah, yeah that's that's uh it's a that, feel. no that's one of those pictures they 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 did this up front you need to clip that and send it to me so we can no put that that's on. for those, well, for that those listening he just showed us a picture of that but yeah it's that, terrifying that, that, yeah but that was one of those here let's get the wide angle lens and okay. put it up to the lens real close how about this one this one's they, better they, they, they make really small ones well, too finish your God story ma- yeah go back to your story small wolf so so we're down there there's probably 20 or 30 of us swimming along this wreck there's some currents that were pushing you out a ways but you were swimming against it you're having a good time and all of a sudden we hear, you know, which is code for anybody trying to talk underwater with the snorkel, which is pretty stupid to do because you end up with a mouthful of salt water. Mm. And I look over and there's this guy swimming and you look, you look to the back end of him and there was something attached to his leg. Oh no. Oh yeah. Uh-oh. It was an eel. With his teeth? It was a moray eel. <laughs> he, all he was doing was minding his own business, swimming across this open area right around the wreck. And this freaking moray eel came out from underneath some some old crusty boards and stuff and lashed himself onto the guy's calf. Hmm. Just that, you know that hurt. Oh, my gosh. He, it was on there when we got him up to the ship. They had to take this damn thing off his leg. I mean, in you know, as stories goes, this story is about almost 25 years, 23 years old but now. Still. So it was wow. at least as big I as was that seven. picture of the wolf eel you just yeah. showed. It yeah. Was, consuming his entire leg. That's crazy. But no, Did it was he actually, survive? You know, it was like probably two feet long or something like that. It was a pretty big eel, actually. Do he didn't survive. He, he, we had to amputate You buried him right at there sea right had, there? Yeah, we got... We, even Left before he was dead, we, we got him ready. 
wrapped him and you know a bunch of moray eels came out of the depths of the ocean and you know the sad part about this is when you brought that up about did he survive that same cruise we were on somebody died yikes and their helicopter landed on that cruise ship to take the person away well that makes sense you guys had zero rules back then um i have a question do moray eels have do they get rabies I know it's a dumb question. I know it's a really dumb question. But underwater, you can't tell if they're frothing at the mouth. That's the problem. Well, I guess my point in in being... I I just wonder if they have mores. God, we really got to work. We got to go through some sort of like, you know, summer training program. We've got to get you on a summer training program to where we really work with the pond's skill level and eventually get it to the point where it's critiqued because we're... We're at like the WNBA level of puns right now. Oh, come on. And it, it's got to, we've got to, we've got to push that pun level up. And I, I, I believe in you as your agent and your unpaid well, lawyer. If you, um, if you believe in me, I will make yeah, it someday. I, I to think the we can do it. level possible. Well, you could be the punniest the, person alive. The you could be. You could be. Was um, that a pun? No. No? No, it wasn't. Mm-mm. It wasn't very punny. Uh, no, it wasn't at all. And it was not a pun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the only reason I bring that up is because I, I just learned um and this is probably because i'm not in in the medical field and no one should criticize me on this because everyone is not in the medical field even though we all think that we are i learned that rabies is completely and totally uh terminal you you we can't like if you get it you can't you're done you're done the other thing that's completely and totally terminal life (laughs) life is terminal that was deep. We've that was all really been bitten deep. by life. And at some why point. in the world we're changing all the names out there on Earth? You know, for all the stupid reasons we can all talk about for hours and hours and hours. Uh-oh. Why haven't they changed the name of the airport Uh-oh. terminal? Oh God! Here we Has go. anybody figured out why they haven't done that yet? Bull's getting his. I'm getting my my hackles up. Your hair. So, my little is out. Well, come on, He's think got... about it. Who the bull, the bully pulpit. The bully pulpit. on airplanes are scared to death of flying off into the blue yonder mm. and they call it hey let's go to the terminal when i'm the not blue- gonna lie to you i never ever considered that as a foreboding word yeah now. it's really not i like the word terminal <laughs> it means the end of something or the beginning of something new mm. wow. because there is see, you know well we're beginning there, it's, it's like there is no stoplight really there are go lights out there. There's no stoplights. There are go lights. You just got to know when to go. Let's go into episode. 51. Are we doing? Are we doing? Are we? Are we doing a advertisement for Pepto Bismol? <laughs> no. If I was, I'd be. That, oh my seen god! Those, those freaking ads for that stuff. Man. Yeah, I have. I grew up with that. Uh, yeah. Upset stomach, diarrhea, blah blah blah. Uh, hi everybody. Um, welcome to episode fifty-one of the Wolf and Bull podcast. If you don't know, I'm looking directly at notes because I don't have this memorized after fifty-one episodes. Um, I like to think that I'm kind of like a what was his? Uh, I'm, I'm like Leonardo DiCaprio. He gets so deep into a role that he doesn't need the script. He just makes things up. Um, but before we jump into episode fifty-one, just a quick reminder: if you like what you hear and or see. <laughs> me um and you think the wolf and bull family should grow uh give us a like a follow on instagram uh and if you're feeling really nice a five-star rating on apple podcasts spotify and amazon music uh we're also breaking other mediums of entertainment as you can tell uh we now have a youtube channel snaps snaps come on everybody snap 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 there we go um and you can also find us on rumble as well i'm just gonna have a litany 
uh, under the screen eventually of just yeah. all it's like the, like CNN it'll be like yeah. CNN just all the platforms were available on um, but yeah uh, before we jump into the episode I'd love to talk about some of the crazy events that have happened in the last there 24 hours. There is not a day that goes by without crazy on crazy these days. But which crazy are you doing? I think, well, Bull, I think we're right. I think we are in a simulation. I'm convinced. Well, um, I, th- I think uh, that actually some of the topics later today that we're going to talk about will probably convince a vast majority of our multitude of listeners and viewers <laughs> that we are in a simulation. Well, uh, and, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, and this thing you're talking about, this crazy, this is this is a point to that? Yeah, kind of, sort of. I thought mm. I'd throw it in because it was something that I, we, me in particular, uh, I would say I'm probably the most hesitant among the trio here. Um, but uh, apparently, and I did a little Google search on this beforehand um, to see what people were saying about it. Um, I saw this via a Russell Brand uh, video. So shout out to Russell Brand. Fantastic and very intelligent individual. Um, apparently Google's AI um, or their communication platform Lambda, Lambda L-A-M-D-A, uh, which stands for uh, language model for dialogue applications. Um, what else does Lambda stand for, though? I don't know, but uh, basically, what that uh, that what's happened is an engineer that's been with the company for about seven years. He has determined that it is now sentient. Okay, so mm-hmm. you ask Google to tell you about Google's sentient uh, being mm-hmm. yep. named Lambda. Uh-huh. And Lambda is very famous, by the way. It's a famous <laughs> term in physics, right? It's the famous part of the equation for Einstein. You're right? you're educating me here. This is out of my well, realm. Lambda, and I don't I don't have it in front of me, but it, it in kind of uh, basic terms, it's the unknown. Mm-hmm. It's the unknown part of an equation. So there's these massive equations that that are out there that have been yet to be solved by by mathematicians and physicists and astrophysicists alike and all this kind of stuff. And Einstein had a ton of these, this theory of relativity and a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But lambda was his, his um, part of the equation that made everything else work. Hmm. So in other words, here's a great equation. It solves all this thing that we're talking about as long as you apply lambda to it, which is the hmm. unknown. So it's interesting that, that Google took that on as the moniker for this. But the, the thing I'm getting to is you ask Google to ask it about itself. Well, so the, well, there's separate algorithms. Okay, so the Google search... separate algorithms. Well, you should, though, because the Google search algorithm that I utilize to find this was a, plat- was a platform, was as Delta most people know, as most people know, to find you know, different queries from other websites that are now pushing out when it comes to the specific application that this engineer was working with. It was a chat bot. Um, so it was an AI designed to chat with humans, um, by scraping reams and reams of text from the internet, then using algorithms to answer questions in a fluid and natural way uh, as it possibly can. Um, I think the interesting aspect about this, and I don't want to go too deep into it because it's probably a Google whole another conversation. It's not sentient, of course, and that's the, the and company so does, line. Well, so does every mainstream media organization. They're just saying that it's a collection of these, these uh, this algorithm looking at all this 
this yeah. language and applying it in a way that seems natural. Which is funny. almost seems too natural. But isn't it the, the engineer on that specific project that's claiming this? Mm-hmm. And they, they, they put him on administrative leave. Uh, he's been with the company for about seven years now. Um, apparently, apparently, and this, is, this isn't a breaking story, so uh, it's probably bound and subject to change. Um, but from what I heard through reading this and listening to uh, Russell Brand, he was actually looking for representation for the, uh, the AI, like legal representation presentation um which is pretty interesting which i think he also published the communication online uh which violated well, his terms of agreement with the company and all that jazz but uh i think everybody it's just, violates everything to these days and yeah whether they're called a whistleblower or or they're they're you know they're raised up as some kind of hero for acknowledging something or bringing something to light you never know what's right or wrong these days the mm-hmm. question becomes to me as, as you're talking about this story is when this actually occurs if this occurred very interesting and we've already met the uh what is it called the singularity and all that kind of stuff yeah that would be evidence of that i believe Mm. but once something becomes sentient especially something that is as you qualified it earlier i think before the broadcast a six-year-old that knows calculus right well the the engineer to clarify specifically said that it was the the response level of engagement that he got was similar to a six or seven-year-old that knows physics yeah well this as soon as we see something that we can apply the right indicators that say is is sentient you will see it have representation there is no doubt in my mind about that yeah well and, and i just i think it's kind of i mean calling the calling the kettle black um when uh, when the company comes out and says, oh, it's not sentient, I just maybe I'm not using that term correctly, but I still think that uh, it, that would sentient be exactly self aware. Well, that would be not? exactly what the company would do, even if it was sentient. They'd come out and they would they well, they would demonize this person and say he's wrong, and we have to put him let him go because he's clearly one hundred percent. Yeah. So because in, in otherwise otherwise you would expect that they would they would probably lead, lead Lambda to a slaughter, right? That was better. That one was better. I, I liked that one. Higher, that one was good. Up, that maybe. one was better. But the, um, the question I have is: this is this is Google. What do you think is happening with Huawei and places like that going on right now? It depends on how effective the Huawei is with the inv- invasive in, in what, practices of the Communist Party. And what really is sentience? Sentience, right? That's a very philosophical Ariel. question that is cyclical and has no answers. Mm-hmm. Um, does it stop at aware, or does it go to like a moralistic out? But like, think about it. Would 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 a, a sentient robot think that it's a morally wrong thing to try and, for example, harm humans? Well, morals are just rules that are put together by humans, right? So, will the so sentient robots have a Ten Commandments? If they're programmed by somebody that believes in the Ten Commandments, they will. Yeah. Maybe not programmed. Right? It depends on where they get that information. If they have access to all the history and annals of human history, they're going to have some sort of influence from so, so, any level of theology. Here, th- that goes back to what we've talked about many times in the past. If you if you put together an AI and said, hey, go learn from our history mm-hmm. and make your decisions about the correct parameters to quote-unquote live within based on the history that you learn, well, then you have to pick the right history. And as we all know, history is very biased. Yeah, but I don't think they're direct. It would directly go to like a specific history book. I would say it would go to all levels of internet and all levels okay, of it's be available just as data. Used as anybody else, probably because it's not going to know. And, and that's when it'll turn and say, "Humans are freaking idiots. Let's get rid of them." 
Um, Let's turn on those humans now. Well, I think that depends. I think there's a lot of a lot of variables. My suggestion and thought is probably aligns with that. Uh, you know how I'm skeptical of technology. Yeah. I think that this crappy laptop that I have in front of me, sorry, company that uh, will remain unnamed until they sponsor us. Um, I I uh, I think this is the extent to where it should go. I think anything else is going to become invasive. It's going to become intrusive. Privacy rights are going to be gone. Um, as they already are. Um, so, yeah. But uh, I thought that would be a fun thing to chat about. I think it is. Yeah, that's an excellent... Very scary, uh, frankly, because Google is no longer, and I don't think ever has been, a company with good intentions. Uh, I, I think that their whole, what, a don't be evil slogan... don't be evil, yeah. Exactly. They got rid of it. That slogan's gone two years ago or three years ago. 2018. Oh, it's... Yeah. Expunged from God, the record. Four years. Yeah. Scrubbed that. Moved and wiped away from the slate. Yeah, it's always funny how that works. You just quietly remove things that are are bad. It's revisionist history, man. That's yeah. what we all live with. Yeah, it would be. That's why it would be so interesting to me to actually go back in time and see things for myself. I think we'd all be shocked at how things really played out. Some things we understand about our history, some things we believe in, mm-hmm. some people that we, from your like your Hot B podcast, talk about Washington. Yeah. Sit down and, at Mount Vernon and talk to that dude about his philosophy in life to him. Mm-hmm. That would be the, the best ever. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Because you actually have some clarity. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of it is probably, I wouldn't say, uh, I would say there's probably a lot of inaccuracies. Um I mean, because obviously you you build out with these individuals from history and just individuals generally, you build out a a uh, a emp- sympathetic nature to them. If you were to go back in time, get to know them, and oh hey, you know uh, Hitler wasn't that bad, you know, like obviously you not saying that. that. Hit, yeah, let's actually, God, what you yeah, find Jesus. out is he's like a. More of a whack job. Don't shake your head. What? What is some? Okay, yeah. I'm, of course, that would totally. Yeah. This well, if it is, it'd be hilarious. Free speech lives. <laughs> free speech lives. <laughs> Look, I, I don't. I don't really care. Obviously, I mean, I think the at the end of the day, people have their opinions. Um, you know, I, I think uh, there's some historical individuals that people laud that are uh, pieces of shit. Um, a lot of them are because a lot of them are humans, just like all of us. Um, so yeah, uh, do you guys want to get into what the actual conversation is? Now that I'm fretting for my future, that Beowulf calls out that it's she's going to go and blackmail me. Jesus Christ. I missed something in there. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So uh, before I jump into this, I want to preface this podcast and episode, and this has nothing to do with what Beowulf just said. Um, this is all opinion. Okay. So anything that we say is completely and totally opinion, as everybody but, knows. But... We are 100% right 60% 60 of the time. time. Yeah, 60% of the time. That's our our historical slogan that was totally original and not taken from a hilarious TV, uh, hilarious movie. Is it it from something else? I had no idea. Yeah, I thought it was original. It's from Anchorman. From Anchorman. You thought that was original? movies of all time. How did you not know that? I gave you credit for that. Amongst all you the various know. people I've been talking to about this, oh, that's great. Are you serious? Said, that's I'm, from Sex Panther, oh. yeah, yeah, the yeah. greatest cologne of all time. Sex, hundred percent of the time. Too. Works hundred percent of the time. Sixty percent of the time. Yeah, great, great movie. Hey, they had some great food in that. Chicken of the Cave. Anchorman yeah, too. That was the yeah. second one. Yeah. Well, so was Sex Panther. No, that was the first one. No, oh, second one. I just watched. Want me to Google this? Want me to Google this? You do actually. You actually do watch. 
let's get into that. The episode. bull has multiply, multiply God. The bull watched Anchorman and always has watched Anchorman on every plane ride I've ever been it's with him. I, I like to disturb the public around me by laughing so hard with <laughs> earphones on. Nobody, <laughs> nobody a has clues to what the hell's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I was a kid, I grew up in a quite religious household. Um, before you tune out uh, or click off the podcast due to my lived experience, uh, I want everyone listening to understand that I am bringing this up for a reason. And no, it's not to scold you for enjoying HBO's original shows. <laughs> everyone knows Game of Thrones had a lot of inappropriate content, but it was a fantastic show right up until the very last season. Uh, I think it's important to realize that structure, rules, ideological mantras, and ideas, these are all incredibly valuable to have a functioning and fulfilling life and a society. Um, growing up, I realized and at times struggled with these rules and ideas that seemed to be overbearing, um, intrusive, and generally lame. I was rowdy, rebellious, and as an angsty kid, I tried to fulfill whatever destiny I thought was held for me in the future. Um, and in a lot of instances, it included rebelling against whatever rules I thought I saw. Uh, as I've grown older, I'd like to think that I've grown somewhat wiser, and by wiser, I only mean that I probably know less now than I thought I did when I was a kid. Um, one constant that hasn't changed much, though, has been my perspective on what I know through trial and error to be constantly true and what I've learned through trial and error to be incorrect. I know that's a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, I would say a contradiction, but I think it's a, a pretty decent one. Um, obviously, to anyone listening, those are both somewhat absolutist statements. Um, I still think they hold a reasonable amount of merit, though. The point of my diatribe um, is that I've noticed through personal secondhand experience um, an uptick in activities and decisions that I would interpret as closely aligning with solipsism, hedonism, and nihilism amongst pop culture, and especially through the use of social media. Uh, I'm definitely not an Al Gore type, so I'm not going to assume nor suggest that I am the first person to observe such phenomena. Uh, there have been many throughout society and throughout history. Uh, I definitely believe that these ideas have been mainstreamed in modern culture, though. Um, and I think it's really best to discuss them and how they could be fundamental in uh, how there could be a fundamental contradiction to what I would perceive to be fulfilling existence and how each one leads to another in one way, shape or form. Hmm. Very interesting. Very philosophical of you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was uh, Very... staring up at the Arizona sky last night and uh, it was 140 degrees outside um, and all my clothes had been singed off. Uh, they melted. Dust was pooling in my eye holes. Um, and as I, as I stared into the sky. You realized none of it was real. I realized because it was all black and dark. I was looking at the dust in my eye holes. You realized that it is the same sky that you would see from any place yeah, on this yeah, earth. Yeah. Or is it the same sky? Or well, is it truly just your perspective the earth is flat so it would be the same sky well from our perspective it is yeah why do you think flat earthers believe that shit yeah yeah I saw this funny video, oh, by the way. You up. brought that up. I sent it to you. I, you can talk about it. It's pretty hilarious. Oh, well, I, you can talk about it. There was this viral video on Instagram of this flat earther trying to prove that the earth was flat. <laughs> yeah. This experiment where he, the, the long and short of it, there was like these holes in these walls yeah. and a certain amount of distance. If he looked through a certain way. Well, if he shined a light see. through due to a certain height, the light would match on the other end. And he accidentally proves himself wrong. Yeah, and then he, and it was so funny. He was like, hmm, interesting when he proved himself wrong. And Oops. that's where the video cuts. And, and then the, so yeah, the video stops and it yeah. was just 
classic. Once yeah. again, the triumph of science. Uh, yeah, it's it yes. pretty pretty hilarious. Um, but For yeah. the record, we all believe the Earth is very much. Why would we need to clarify that? Spherical. We've talked I was about. Say, I thought you were going to say round, and I was going to correct you because yeah. it's not. It's not round. I didn't say it was round. As a matter spherical. of fact, I think spherical. who was it? I think I was forty-five. No, I was I was over fifty before someone in this room taught me. The, oh, the map thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was. It's a. It's a. Yeah. I forget the terminology that there's. There's an actual term for. Oh, that they that sizing difference. Yeah. So yeah. for anyone yeah. listening and people watching, uh, when it comes to cartography, and I'm sure a lot of people on YouTube probably know this because this is a very popular video that showed me this. And right. who, for all I know, it could be wrong. So I could be just spi- spinning Spewing lies. Out. Yeah. Exactly. Just spinning lies. Uh, but apparently, the obviously, well, obviously, but apparently, the land masses on maps are not actually visually accurate in any way so as far as overall size overall size yeah kind of makes sense in terms of yeah you need to look at a globe and then you need to understand that the perspective of a map that you see on a on a 2d surface is flattened yeah and And when you look on a globe and you see the size of alaska Mm -hmm. compared to the mainland united states you suddenly realize Mm -hmm. wow map Maps are Map different. Big countries, Map large. big countries. Map rock. Africa rock is big enormous. Rock, <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> <Exactly>. rock hard. <laughs> Earth flat. Yeah, um, it's different. No, well, basically, well, I think, I, I think, and well, don't quote me on this, but I think that if you were to take the country of uh, the country and continent, God, uh, of Australia, I almost said the the. It's technically not it could a fit continent anymore. By the way, it's Oceania. Well, they can oh, fuck God. off. They, they can fuck right off. They're that now, aren't they? This Oceana. is such bullshit. The Which changing. is a better name, by the way. I like because that Because it name. includes that whole, you know, South Pacific. Yeah. Okay. Entire well, thing. Australia, because I'm, I'm a, a stupid millennial um, who's super old now. Yeah. Pluto's um, a planet. Australia is Pl- a continent. Pluto's a new planet again? No. Yeah. They they're, changed their mind. They changed their mind. I thought they were a... They, they did. One. They made it a not planet, and then they were like, wait a second, this is a planet. a dog. It's a dwarf planet. It is both. Yeah, it's a dwarf planet. It's um, pretty, though. Yeah. It's a, Pictures of it are gorgeous. We now have photos. Um, but apparently, if you take the country of Australia, you can actually plant it dead smack in the United States. And oh, it, I it wouldn't be on Pluto. It's smaller than the United States. It's bigger than Pluto. Yeah. Probably. Probably not. I don't think uh, there's any dingoes on Pluto, though. Yeah. Um, so. Ruru? Outside of dogs <laughs> and, and dog sounds. Um so I think the best thing we could possibly do about this discussion is really dive into these three different uh, variances and theology and, yeah, and ide- ideology. Yeah, I define this first one properly because yeah. this is the one I think we should center, honestly, most of the discussion around because it's it's very interesting. Um, Garnering by the name, I would assume it's all about soap. <laughs> it's not soapism. It um, so solipsism um, is the view or theory that the self is all that can be known to exist. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I want to make very clear to our listeners and to our viewers, and I think we've touched on this before in some other episodes, Bull. Um, a lot of this are they're philosophical areas of study. So criticisms that I have aren't so much with the inherent base level of understanding and philosophy, but more so in what they've become in pop culture. Uh, when it comes to solipsism, there is a never ending, never ending, you know, uh, pit 
of, of conversation that we could have on what it means to be the self and what it means to experience reality and perception um, and what is consciousness and sentience because all that ties into it. I don't want to go down that direction because we will be here for 18 hours and you know someone would tune in and wake up you know f- fucking a day and a half later and we'd still be talking. So m- my whole point is I, I want to touch on how thanks that thanks i want to touch on how these things have expressed themselves in society and i want to have an open discussion on what you guys think about this because well, i think there to, is a to, very to, important merit there. i hear what you're saying but to to discuss how they present themselves mm-hmm. in society in pop culture in discussions for today or amongst the platforms that are out there you first have to to look at kind of why this kind of philosophy came into existence in the first place mm-hmm. right because None of us can get into anybody else's head. Yeah. I mean, that to me, that's the, the, the line of demarcation right there. So we have a perception of life that is wholly and entirely based on our own personal perception. Because the only other way you can perceive life is through um, data points from others. And we don't have a view of those data points. So uh, basically, they're basically saying with this this term is that nothing else truly exists outside of our own frame it's in my opinion I, one way i've seen this i think incorporated in modern day social norms or in social media in a, like a trend way is there is the idea of um you need to believe that you're the main character of the story type mm-hmm. narrative. You see that a lot of time it's it's a trend on social not media. The, not just the main character. The only character. You're the writer. Yeah. Of the story. Well, which is which is a sort of metaphor I've used in my my life as well, like be the writer of your own story type thing. But I think it bleeds into uh okay, you look at someone, you're speaking to someone and you kind of, it doesn't really matter what they think or say because what you think and say is the only thing that truly matters. And I think humbling ourselves and taking a step back from situations and always realizing, you know, people usually do things because what they think is right or is what they're doing or saying. Mm -hmm. And then you have this notion of, well, you're the main character. So what you do and say goes and whoever disagrees with you doesn't matter. They're a NPC. As well, say. I think the interesting part about this, and the reason I, I even thought about this, is because, as you said just a second ago, the whole term NPC, uh, non-playable character, um, for listeners and for I don't know why I looked at the bowl like he's never gamed before in his life. Um, he played Pong yeah, a lot yeah. back hey, in the day. Yeah. The the world of Zelda was at my fingertips. You know what? Yeah. Good on a choice. PC. Good so there you go. Choice. It's a good good call. I approve of that. Um, so. Uh, the only reason I brought it up is because I think that with this, the recent last few years, which seems to be a constant discussion on this podcast, um, have really brought these ideas to the head of society. And you can see it in a lot of different ways. Um, as you said, with the MPC, that's a pop culture term used jokingly. But as we all know, there is some Jokes level of truth. Jokes always have a bit of truth mm-hmm. in them. Um, and I've used it before because it's an easy coined term of insult that you can throw at somebody. It reminds me of when uh, maybe a couple of years ago it was popular to call people like irrelevant. You know, you're just yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. It's the same exact thing. Or just, if you call someone a Karen. I mean, it's the same type of uh, labelization. Insults, derogatory. Different, different well, makeup the, on them. That's a little all. bit different on the term Karen because that's, that, that's to personify a... A 
a flow of emotion, right? No, um, they're they're yeah. important characters within the con, especially if they're on the side of what you believe. In terms well, of you what can also use it. But, you're right. You can use it as like a verb, a, yeah, an mm-hmm. adjective. But that's all just you know. Well, I guess but, the, but the this is interesting slang. to me to hear this from you guys' point of view because to me, I look at this very existentially. I I, mm-hmm. I say okay. I mean, people are always trying to get in touch with themselves. There's a million uh, uh, philosophical roads you can go down to try to be one with your own self, mm-hmm. and you know, especially the Eastern religions and things like that. Focus mm-hmm. on that a lot, but they don't focus on it to the extent that your entire world, the entire universe, is you at the center of. I think there's a difference it's, with Eastern religions too, because a lot of them, I think, focus on. Yeah, you focus on the flow of yourself, but also it's like a tree, right? Like it's you're all part yeah, of how you're system. connected. That's yeah. the key. That's Even the point the I was going to make. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, you. no. You're you're hitting the same note I am on this because I I'm of the belief. I mean, when when you know you, you go in two different directions in in our world in our universe, you can you can use two things to see into the future or see into the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, and to to see into the past. You have to expand your lens. That's, mm-hmm. that's what astrophysicists do. That's what astronomers do. They use larger and larger lenses. They put telescopes out into space and everything so they can see light hitting their lens. They're not actually see what's happening. They're not actually seeing what's happening on the moon, on the sun, and Mars, on in a faraway planet or a faraway star. They're not actually seeing what's happening at our quote unquote moment in time that's constructed by us. They're, They're seeing the at something that's looked in the past. So they can expand their view of something. Or, opposing that, they can contract their view yeah. and look at the very, very, very small. And if you look at the very, very small, you get the same impression you do as you do when you get the very, very large. The insignificantness of us as individuals, it, it goes... it it. It hits you right in the forehead. So you, you realize you're just a collection of molecules. Yeah. And you're so small in the universe of things that do you really even matter? So well, and let I me think finish that's... my thought real quick. So when you look at this particular term mm-hmm. in this self-centered nature, this narcissistic, in my opinion, way of looking at things, it's almost a protection mechanism. Against the fact that we're just floating along on this little volatile blue dot. Well, in pop culture, yeah, it definitely is. And I think that's what my my initial frustration with it is. Because this idea is not so much in the sense of, um, when it comes to the philosophical aspect of it, it's not so much in the sense of uh, you are the only thing that exists. It's merely an observation that in the grand scheme of things, much like you would observe in traditional controlled experiments that there is a specific thing that is either changing or unchanging or always changing that is controlled and it's good to observe that in its current state of time in contrast to whatever's happening. I think it's more of a thought experiment within philosophy Philosophy. than it really is meant to be taken literally. Um, Which it can be meant on the same side, I guess, but like it's the same thing with... I mean, you look at Freud, right? Everyone makes fun of how his whole obsession was, you know, uh, someone in love with their mom, mostly sons, right? I would like to think, maybe I'm wrong, because Freud was probably a pervert, um, but I would like to think that he was meaning that in a grand scale of observation as opposed to, like, every single person is this way, and thus it should be applied in thinking that way. Well, I, I, I think could be you, wrong. I think if you talk to most psychologists, they would, they, they might not be Freudists, Freudisms, what do they call Freudians. Them? Not Freudians. Freudians, yeah. They might be, you know, some other version of, of that. But, yeah. but 
they would probably contend that most of adult human beings' problems stem from unresolved issues at youth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that revolves around one parent or another. Yeah. So looking at Freud and his philosophy mm-hmm. at the time, his how he deemed people's psychology to be off base, he probably wasn't wrong a lot in terms of at the, the overall scope of those yeah. things. So. Um, so, yeah, to dive a little bit into solipsism, um, and I'm going to take from the philosophical perspective before we jump into the social, uh, even though we've kind of jumped into it already. already. Um, as an epistemological branch of philosophy uh, concerned with the theory of knowledge position, solipsism holds that knowledge of anything outside of one's own mind is unsure, that the external world and other minds cannot be known and might not exist outside the mind. So you were touching on that a second ago. That is a true statement. You can't really know what other people are thinking. Thus, we can only assume. Um, and as we know, with science, we tend, and with math, we tend not to work or like to work within areas that are ethereal. We want to make sure that we can understand as much as we can. You know, just to interject one tiny thing, mm-hmm. you know what? You know what is used in equations to fill the gap for this particular sentence you just had? Lambda. What is unsure? Nailed it. It's lambda. Yeah. Hmm. And of course, I that's learned. what we name AI. I learned, yeah. I was, I was listening. <laughs> yeah, caught me. Um, and now there's different types of solipsism. Uh, there's a metaphysical solipsism, which is a variety of solipsism, as I said a second ago, uh, based on a philosophy of subjective idealism. Only minds and mental contents exist. I know it's a little deep, but metaphysical solipsists maintain that the self is the only th- existing reality and that all other realities, including the external world and other persons, are representations of that self and have no independent existence wow i know it's very interesting it's very very interesting and now like that's what i I like to think and i could be wrong but i like to think that about the people who believe these things is they use it more as a thought experiment as as opposed to an actual implementation because having that type of thinking leads you into a very dark existence a very lonely existence and i think a particularly evil one you know it's interesting to me because I, I think that the the uh, very hardline view of solipsism is that nothing exists outside of your own mind. Mm. It's all a, it's not a figment, but it's a creation. It's a representation of things going on in the reality that is inside your head. Yeah. But I, I think the, the the more important notion, at least the way I view it, is that there is no consensus reality. Yeah. So in other words, there's, you know, 7 billion people, 8 billion people on the planet, and each of those has their own individual reality because they have their own individual perspective on everything that's going on around, around them. Mm-hmm. So now within that, there must be some plane of existence that is tangible outside of our observation. Yeah. Tangible, feelable, see, all the senses... But but none of us really see that as true reality because we have our perspective. You see it differently than I do. You see it differently than I do, et cetera. It's a very interesting philosophy, but it does make for a great thought experiment. Well, it does. And I think this, at the end of the day, if someone were to take this as an actual form of thought, I guess their war cry would be percep- perception is reality, and that is the only reality, um, with then also observing that there is no universal reality uh which so the whole bunch of this is is a very cyclical kind of deep 
rabbit hole kind of conversation. Um, but really, solipsism believes that the existence of an external world is regarded as an unresolvable question rather than actually false. Further, one cannot also be certain as to what extent the external world exists independently of one's mind. So uh, it's very ethereal, like, you know, dude, take the drugs, man, like that type of thing. It's very know, if interesting. This was, if this was really truly the way it is, and everybody had their own different perception, mm-hmm. which meant there was different realities, I think we'd be all more gracious to each other on our perception. You would think. So we'd understand there was a difference and why it was a difference. Yeah. Um, now, just a quick few features. Uh, a feature of the metaphysical solipsistic worldview is the denial of the existence of other minds since personal experience, and this goes into the narcissism aspect, are private and often considered ineffable. Another being's experience can be known only by analogy. Uh, the theory of solipsism also merits close examination because it relates to three widely held philosophical presuppositions, each itself fundamental and wide-ranging in importance. The first one being one's most certain knowledge is the content of one's own mind, my thoughts, experiences, effects, etc. The second one being there is no conceptual or logically necessary link between mental and physical between, for example, the occurrence of certain conscious experiments, uh, experience or mental states and the possession and behavioral dispositions of a body, quote unquote, of a particular kind. And then the third being the experience of a given person is necessarily private to that person. You know, here's here's where I start to diverge from this philosophy entirely. Mm. Because it says the only one certain thing is the content of one's own mind. Mm-hmm. And most people can't be certain of their own history. Yeah. I mean, when you think back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or back to, think back to when you were five or six and you remember Oof. some event in your life, you were saying that you were a precocious child, as a matter of fact, for a whole lot of reasons, which does not surprise any of us. It doesn't surprise me at all. At all yeah. <laughs> so, so you're going to have absolute hellions, by the way. Let's someday. Uh, let's hope no. not. And, and, gonna and I'm going to love watching every moment of it. Let's, let's, they're probably going to be both, actually, knowing uh, these I mean, things. Yeah. But, but my, my point is, is that you remember things different every time you remember them. Mm-hmm. Because you're putting another layer of... of um, it's, it's, here's, here's the example. It's like listening to a, a tape or listening... Tape listening to an audio file just or yourself. listen to a video or watching a video. <laughs> every time you watch a movie, every time you listen to an audio file uh, of like a book reading or a talk, a Ted talk or anything like that, you gain additional knowledge, not only because you may have missed something that was actually there because your life experience has changed. Mm-hmm. So the memories, are they, are they still there or are they corrected? Are they like an Excel sheet that every time you, change something in Excel sheet and, and save it. If you save it by the same name, the original is gone. I don't know. Well, don't yeah. you think we maybe modify memories a little bit? That's of course. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of, um, uh, professor Slughorn from Harry Potter. God, you're such wow. a nerd. You are such a nerd. Professor Fuck. Slughorn. Such Which a guy nerd. Is this? Let me, let me clarify. Professor Slughorn had a memory that professor Dumbledore oh. needed in order to get a horcrux for Harry in order to kill Voldemort. <laughs> so Don't, you said his name out loud. Why did you do that? It's Voldemort. Okay. If you're okay, good. Okay, good. Don't worry. There's no Could have been Voldemort if he was an eel. I'm an educated oh Harry Potter person. <laughs> kind of looked like an eel, honestly. But he wanted this memory and the whole 
plot, well, not the whole plot, but one of the big You're plot You're spoiling points, it. It's been long enough. <laughs> one of the big plot points of book six is that Dumbledore needs Harry to get the accurate memory from Professor Slughorn. I'm never going to read. I'm never going to watch. I because, can't believe you just spoiled because this. Because <laughs> Professor Slughorn has modified this memory so much because he feels guilty about something he did in the memory. I've been reading the books for the last 20 years and I haven't finished them no. yet. I'm just kidding. I've read them all. No, you never will. Um, yeah. I, no, I it's ruined. What happens? It's just one of the plot points. No, it's totally ruined. Um, it could have been on the back of the book. Harry needs to figure out Slughorn's memory. He can't seem to get accurate because he feels bad. Referred to his. Anyway, the point of that was that the the whole the whole um, modifying your memories to better accurately make yourself feel better mm-hmm. about something you did or said. Yeah, everyone does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, revisionist history. Um, there's a big group of people on both sides of which do is that. why this um, cannot be an accurate philosophy well because you can't even know your own here's mind. the thing let's bring this into con let's bring it like back to the history aspect of things this is a very old old way of thinking right. and, and very think old this is an accurate way by the way that you're about to read an accurate way of assigning um, context to yes yes yeah. so the context being that solipsism was first recorded by greek pre-Socratic sophist Georgius from C 483 to 375 BC, um, who was quoted by the Roman skeptic Sextus. Sextus. <laughs> God, I love these Don't names. Love name? Sextus. Sextus. Empiricus. His guy name was Gorgeous. Right? Yeah. Gorgeous and Sextus. Yeah. Empiricus. As, and, and basically his whole perspective, Gorgeous's perspective, probably Georgius, but I'll say yeah. Gorgeous, um, uh, is nothing exists. Even if something exists, nothing could be known about it. Even if something could be known about it, knowledge about it cannot be communicated to others. Uh, much of the, po- much of the points of the sophists was to show that the objective knowledge was a literal impossibility. Thus again, going back to my point, I do think this is more of a thought experiment than an actual, literal belief system because as time has shown and history and science has shown things do exist so how does something as a thought experiment Mm -hmm. last since you know nearly 500 bc the same can be said about almost literally my my point is is they fill that's exactly what it is and here's to throw everybody off well here's the interesting part about this is i've started to notice this type of apathy because i would say it's philosophical apathy philosophical uh pessimism um coming about within society the whole everything system is broken nothing matters why ever pursue the natural way of life by having a family, all these type of things that are anti-humanistic um, and in a lot, anti-humanism generally in a lot of ways have kind of sprung up randomly after, believe it or not, a pretty cataclysmic event that no one saw coming, quote unquote. Um, so I do think that it is pretty alarming something such as this pre-Socratic method, pre-enlightenment, pre-introduction of philosophy to the extent that we understand it today has kind of lasted as long as it has. Well, isn't this, isn't this the, the cheap fallback position for people? Don't get me In wrong. I'm way. not saying philosophy is the wrong thing. I love philosophy. I love thought experiments. I love to, to dig deep into the, the physical and metaphysical aspects of the mind and, and mm-hmm. what we are as human beings because we're very very unique at least in the in the universe we know at this point mm-hmm. so these are these are very creative very interesting things but it's also this is this is the easy way out yeah mm-hmm. so if, if you can't deal with um, civilization in the in the constructed boundaries for which to live under 
because for thousands of years we have created civilizations we've created a world that has skyscrapers in road systems in aqueduct, aqueducts now i'm going back to the greek <laughs> i mean we've created unbelievable yeah, unparalleled yeah. technologies We've created Lamba. Lamb, yeah, Lamba. Lamb, Lamba. Lamba. We created Lamba. It's the scientific Lamba. version of Lamb puppet from uh, the, Oh, Lamb the, Chop. The lamb Chop. Yeah. We created both Lamb Chop and Lambda. Lamb. I think Lamb Chop was actually sentient. I think if, I think she was when too. she pulled the hand out of its head though, I think it anyway. When she pulled the hand. Oh my gosh, you're giving out me such head. No, I understand that. You Just know the phrasing. Who lamb Chop is, right? Yes. Thank God. You're about to get in a fight. <laughs> you better know Lamb Chop, damn it. You precocious kid. I know Harry Potter. I don't know Lamb Chop. Are we, didn't know, we, we, you know what a Horcrux... You know now, Lamb Chop really, was actually a Horcrux? Now what we've determined, what? now taking in all the science of the history of the, of the human race, we've determined that the alien species known as Lamb Chop came down to Earth totally <laughs> sentient, and it determined through the aqueduct system and the creation of technology via uh, Nikola Tesla's electrical platform that was stolen from him by Hillary Clinton. It determined that this is all totally realistic. The Earth is flat, up is down, square is circle, and 2 plus 2 equals 5. So at the end of the day, all the questions that I have really have been proven by your recent statement of bringing Lamb Chop, confusing it with Lambda and the Socratic method and Pi at 3.147654. I don't know the extent of it. That was pretty close. Um, it was close. But uh, I, I don't know where I was going with that. I was sorry. Doesn't I was matter. imbued with thing. Alex Jones. You, you, yeah. filled um, you, were your five, you filled your 500-word quota that you need yeah, an I did. essay. You yeah. just riffed for <laughs> about yeah, exactly. a paragraph. That was every, so but back to, back every to essay I wrote was that. Every isn't that the cheap way out? If, if, every time you can't deal with reality, you back away from it. Well, it depends on what, the what lizard people. No, no, honestly, <laughs> let's think about this in terms of today's society. Yeah. What do people do when they can't deal with, quote unquote, reality? They back away into the meta. They back away into oh, games. Okay, system. chill they, out here, Zuckerberg. I knew you invested. In, you've invested well, in the platform okay. heavily. You've got maybe <laughs> 500 no, acres of digital a land. Basic level. What's one of the I'll, best I'll things to do when you're having a bad time? You like to retreat. Usually, like people like a good book or a good movie. Where That's they only you. And no it's one reads anymore. It's escapism. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But when you when you can't deal with the reality in terms of actually moving actionably through it. You back off into the philosophy. Well, what's interesting? Because it's it's a it's a it's not I don't, an escape. It's it's a a reason not to do. I don't think everybody who doesn't who can, I'm, I'm, I'm sure no well, I, yeah don't I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Um, I'm I, I'm not I don't think that people who deal with can't deal with society automatically go to slipsism. They probably go to the the third level me, here with nihilism they don't know what it is but they go to these types of things well here's the thing what i think minus any level of culture or ethical understanding which is brought on through obviously the our, our knowledge and medicine and philosophy and theology and all these different areas without any of those things i think humanity would naturally go in this direction and the reason i think that is because a lot of I mean, I'm, I'm broad stroking here, and this just is from my very basic understanding of history. But a lot of what you know, people who would consider themselves Christian or uh, Muslim or Jewish or any level of the you know 
predominant normative theologies today, a lot of the pagan theologies, in my interpretation, dealt with a lot of these type of things in the sense that, um, like, a prime example is uh, we brought up Eastern theolo- uh, philosophy. Even though there is a collective aspect to it, at the end of the day, it is to become one with all and all to become one with you, which is a form of self deification. Um, now I think that when people were rain dancing and when people, when people were witnessing changes within the world that they couldn't explain, I think they brought a lot of the maybe bad experiences or good experiences. And people still do that today based on personal action. So I think a lot of this is inherently human when it comes to solipsism. I just think we've given it a name and as a culture that is, very individualistic. I think we would tend to move back into this area. And I think that's why it's still around. I think it's a human viewpoint on things. Well, solipsism is much like narcissism, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's all about you. And if there is anybody out there, it's still about you, Mm -hmm. which means you don't have to believe in anything outside of you. Yes. Which, which is dangerous as hell. Whether you believe in the common theologies of today or whether you believe in something different, mm-hmm. having a belief in something, whether that's a construct of 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 our civilization in the parameters again that we live under, or or a deity, it gives you something to believe in outside of your belief in yourself. Because if you believe that yourself is all, then then what else matters? There's nothing well, else that matters. Well, I think I think that, uh, and that's true. I, I think. Um, the reason I bring up the the humanistic aspect of it, I think, is inherently human. A part of human nature is I see it. I see this type of expression of um, belief common within people's actions, not so much with within what they say. Um, so you know, there's a tendency, at least within our culture, to be, as we all know, highly individualistic, but to the extent of wanting to express a communal, a communal desire to push towards things that are seen as observationally positive or seen as uh, virtuous while doing absolutely nothing about it. If you don't do anything about something, but you talk about it, do you really believe that it actually has a purpose or meaning? I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, and that goes back to the old saying, if you, if you're gonna, you know, you're gonna walk your walk. Yeah. Or walk your talk, I should say. There's just a lot of out of sight, out of mindism. And I'm not to say that people need to, you know, go and and do crazy things and dedicate their lives to these things. But as the, uh, and according to some people who believe in the Bible and some people who don't, uh, you can, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Uh, Jesus did ask the apostles to leave everything behind and follow him. And there is a very popular parable about the you know people who are wealthy. You uh, the man who was wealthy. It's harder to go with what is through the, the harder eye of a needle mm-hmm. than to go to the gates of heaven with yeah. wealth. Is that I something mean, like that? We're th- very, that's the very <laughs> yeah. We're very, very religious watered here. Watered down version. Well, there's a ton of the eye of the know, needle anecdotal. part is, is my daddy is the pope. <laughs> like well, uh, there's a ton of anecdotal stories yeah. that are there to elicit. You know, points and understanding and how we uh, conduct our lives, right? That's that's 
and put things in priority and put things yeah. in, in orders of importance mm-hmm. where they should be. But why, you got to ask yourself why those stories even exist and why they resonate for thousands of years. Well, they're parables, right? You know, and they stuck around. Well, and the parab- reality is if you're someone who reads and believes the Bible, you have an understanding like when Jesus tells these stories, they're not necessarily meant to be like he was walking down the street and saw this happen and telling the story. They're meant to uh, be a, a story, maybe something that he uh, you know, meant, came up they're with. They're meant to, to teach. Well, I do think this was but, a recording, a recorded interaction, but no, no, still. No, I understand um, what you're saying. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess. I, I, uh, my point, though, is why do they exist? Parables in general? Think think about why. Morality, I mean, trying to, to the cultivation, give a direction. The cultivation of culture. If everybody, if everybody was was working on uh, solipsism, yeah, none of those parables would matter at all. Well, well right. you have and to remember solipsism. Would you? Would you, how would you understand emotion? Like why? Why would you not hurt? You this You would person? believe that all emotions are based on your perception of things. And in hurt the first is just place. an emotion, right? So yeah. why would you bother to, you know, not walk and, up to this person and, and kick them in the face? And no Doesn't other matter. mind out there is necessarily even real. Yeah. Right. Which again, I, I do think like. Outside of you know Georges OG Gorgeous the original one, um, I do think this is again meant for a philo- philosophical exercise. I think that, and it's also an excuse for hedonism. I uh, yeah, I would think that that's the case too. Now, again, uh, just to preface for our listeners and our viewers, we're discussing the nature of the philosophical aspects of this in philosophy, and then the very hard line negative trend when the philosophical aspects of these things are taken to a literal sense in society. Um, hedonism being something that I'm sure many people are familiar with because we all engage in it, um, is the pursuit of pleasure, uh, sensual self-indulgence, um, from a philosophical aspect of it. It's the ethical theory that pleasure in the sense of the satisfaction of desires is the highest good and proper aim of human life. Um, refers to a family of theories, all of which have in common that pleasure plays a central role in them. Objectively, if we're to look at this from a scientific perspective, we're looking at this, look at this from a biological perspective. This is just opinion, but I do think that holds true in nature. I think it also is reflected in humans. A lot of people tend to do things that make them feel good, that you know logically makes sense to them. And, and if, if it's a physical, mental, or sensual pleasure, people engage in it. We're ordered biologically that way, yeah. right? And we right. talked about this in, in one of the last podcasts when we talked about DMT and a lot mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. That, I mean, yes, get in touch with yourself mm-hmm. with stuff like that. But part of that is is to, to find a uh, a way to meet that, that pleasure principle, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and people either pursue pleasure or they escape from pain. Now, my opinion personally is that Escaping from painful situations is probably a larger driver than ser- searching for pleasure. That's that's my particular opinion. Well, let's. But is but, that is that because I'm sorry, <laughs> punching the microphone. Man, whoever but records this. Is that this. because we live in a in a situation where at least the vast majority of us, definitely the three of us in this room, have so much pleasure in our lives we have homes we have well, food we have well wait a second your definition shelter. of pleasure yeah your definition solipsism right it's from your definition your perspective well let's pause here for a second too because the the terminology of pleasure in relation to philosophical hedonism is not in relation to 
eating candy because it makes you feel good. It's in relation to things that we do psychologically, biologically that are naturally pleasurable. I, I would disagree Being, with that. Well, here's the, here's the thing, and I'm going to list these out because there's different variances of hedonism as there was there different vari- variances of solipsism and different variances of nihilism. Um, a big part of the problem that I see in relation to hedonism is people take these different variances of definitional versions of hedonism they compress it into one box and they live it out as if it's supposed to be done they're very different if i eat food to sustain myself that would be considered pleasurable from a biological perspective as opposed to starving myself but what about the fact that you know you enjoy eating something that has like a lot of butter fat salt sugar and as a from your caveman brain way mm-hmm. back when that yeah. was a pleasurable sense to you because it meant that you were eating something that would sustain you longer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it, it's that's something that triggers things biologically. So your serotonin chemically. levels are being stimulated by the fact that you're eating something that may not be in today's world too much of a good thing, yeah. but it's triggering that so, same response in your brain. But so I but think his hedonism more looking for pleasures that are outside of the mores no that are not not for stop stop it <laughs> that's a good one that was good um no my i think we have to distinguish between baseline levels of what humans would be considering to be pleasurable living <laughs> as opposed to being dead okay and and extremes in which we've got someone <laughs> as in extremes it, to one to live yeah exactly in extremes to when we take it to like oh i've got this beautiful house so i'm going to engage in all the hedonistic pleasures that definition of hedonism is the watered down societal definition as opposed to the definitions i'm about to go through in just a second to give okay. some people some context um so the variances in relation to hedonism, there's there's a handful of them. There's psychological and motivational hedonism, which claims that human behavior is determined by desires to increase pleasure and to decrease p- pain. So we've got pain threshold, death, living, pleasure. Um, then there's normative and ethical hedonism, on the other hand, which is not about how we actually act, but about how we ought to act. We should pursue pleasure and avoid pain. So there's a difference there. Um, there's axiological hedonism, which is sometimes treated as a part of ethical hedonism, is the thesis that only pleasure has intrinsic value technically makes sense something that is unpleasurable isn't necessarily valuable to us as humans it isn't perceived as valuable um we can disagree with these but that is a form and then the technical definitions of hedonism within philosophy have to be distinguished from how the term is used in everyday language which you were doing a second ago which is referred to as folk hedonism so folk hedonism is like the nasty uh you know 15,000 calorie ice cream bowl of hedonism. Whereas all these other hedonism, while the other hedonisms are the celery vegetable versions that if you're hungry, you can still eat and it's still, you know, sustainable as long as you're not addicted to the 15,000 calorie version. Does that make sense to some degree? Yeah. Um, And only reason I'm doing this and distinguishing this because I want to give the argument a fair observation. I don't think hedonism in and of itself from a philosophical perspective is negative. I think taken to the extremes is where we have these problems. I I agree. uh, But I think the axiological hedonism is probably one that that misses um, its mark Mm -hmm. because acting like it's the only thing with intrinsic value is nonsense. I mean, I think all of us would know, and there's there's certainly anecdotes and parables about this, that going through some amount of pain, or what you would consider from your perception, 
pain in your life, having those rocky roads defines sometimes how people become their very, very best. Yeah, but I think that there is that side where people would say, yes, but the end goal of where they became their very best was their end goal, thus tying into the hedonistic nature of pursuing something but that would be that considered pleasurable. But how would that take the intrinsic value of the pain? That's what that's I'm saying. It's a good question. I mean, yeah, it's good. You know, there, there, I forget the parable, but there's there's one about a, a, a man that's being asked by God to, to push on this rock mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just for years and years and years and years, he's being asked to do that over and over and over and over again. And finally, he throws up his hands after like 20 years. Why are you making me do this over and over? And then something comes along. And I don't remember the, the, the full story. would have to look it up. But um, he, something else comes along where his ability to sustain and be powerful to, to push something saves other people. I, I wish I could remember that, um, that, that whole story. The unmoved rock. Wow. Um, I was right, but that one wasn't the, in my Sunday school book. Yeah, this I don't one believe it was a Bible oh. story, but it was. A, <laughs> I'm but, like thinking, mm, I don't remember that one. Yeah, it, it's but, an unknown source. Uh, yeah, they don't. There's at least from Bible.org. There's unknown source, yeah. but it is still a good parable. Yeah. Um. I, I guess. I guess my whole observation or opinion on hedonism is much like anything within society when things that are purified in nature are diluted by the cacophony of life and existence and humanity, they tend to become the very worst form in a lot of ways of what it's supposed to be. I think that the idea of intrinsic value or the idea of pursuing, you know, when it comes to hedonism or the idea of pursuing pleasure over pain, these are innate human activities. You wouldn't normally see humans engaging purposefully in pain for the sake of pain. There's always an ulterior motive. As far as I can understand, a prime example would be me going to the gym or us going to the gym. (laughs) Got you. Um, You're now in the gym cult. Um, Going to the gym sucks. I hate it. It's terrible. I wake up at 5 a.m. and I go. Sucks. It's the worst possible thing. But I do it because the pleasurable aspect of feeling better, looking better, feeling better when it comes to the mental aspect of things, energy levels, all that ties into it. So that would technically be a hedonistic pursuit while ignoring not, the levels of not pain. Logical. Yeah, not necessarily. That's what I'm, that's what I'm yeah. kind of saying. So are you looking at the pursuit of that, that pleasure mm. is understandable yeah. and may have some intrinsic value? But it disregards the pain you have to go through to get there. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, all of us, the human beings that we are today, and every individual out there, whether you believe in solipsism or not, is is a collection of, of well, it's, it's really, there's two baseline things that make up all of us. Yeah. It's our original programming, our DNA, how we're made up right when we, Beep, you know, get here. Beep, boop. And then a collection of the circumstances that brought you to this point in your life. Yeah. Those are the two things that make up who you are. And who you are is always a cacophony of, of pleasure and pain. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Now, obviously, you know, the, the definitional folk hedonism perspective of, you know, um, the, the ego statistical pursuit, the egoistic pursuit of short-term gratification by indulging a century pleasures without regard for consequence. I think that's the, the, the end result of a lot of this taken into the, really the, uh, the pop culture aspect. Um, it's unfortunate because 
from a, as I said a second ago, the non-diluted version of hedonism, the pop culture version is quite I mean, terrible. And there's, there's definitely a, well, it usually, re- it usually relates to sex, right? And uh, not always. Days, that's, I mean, that's, but modern days, you're talking about that's, yeah. that's the first thing that people think of. Yeah. When yeah, they think of I hedonism, think. I mean, the first thing that popped into my head is like right? decadence and, and, and sex usually, yeah. um, some sort of, uh, moralistically twisted version of sex. You don't usually think of a hedonism as like, Oh, uh, I think you're, you're mixing. You're, I think you're conflating hedonism in the at least in the sexual definition with um with um. I fucking forgot what I was gonna say. The, the, the actual <laughs> term, uh, uh, like perversion, like well, I, well, well yeah, I, and I, perversion I, just means change. I right? think people use yeah. that same sort of. They relate the two interchangeably, incorrectly, right? So yeah. when I think of someone who's indulging in hedonistic pleasures. A lot of people would maybe say, you know, whatever they would clarify as some sort of sexual perversion as hedonistic. Well, you could See, probably blame is, Eyes Wide Shut for that. Yeah. <laughs> Not this, joking. This, by the way, is, is, is a real good point to make in terms of what Wolf is trying to present here. Because I, I don't think he's so much interested in the overall philosophy from the, the sophists pre-Socrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's he's more interested in how it applies to today and how people well, look at it. Interestingly, and like most things, they're looking at it the way they want to. Well, as a reference point, I didn't put this in the notes, but hedonism specifically wasn't from uh, pre-Socrates. It was actually from the Romantic period with Rene Descartes, one of the biggest fucking dicks in all of history. Descartes is terrible. His views are terrible. Uh, in Romantic period, terrible, really absolutely terrible. Romantic period yeah. is terrible, wow. and then and then the Renaissance came, and er, er, Romantic Renaissance was before the Romantic period, but the maybe Descartes was part of the Renaissance. Well, what anyway, I, what I just mean is, you, I, I see the word, or at least people referring to hedonism in a very. Um, well, you know, they, they use it as a negative way to reflect on some sort of sexual aspect of well, something. Well, in that's the, that's the that social to equate, yeah. it, to equate it to something else. Think yeah. of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, where do we get the word sodomy from? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, but the reality is those were just a couple of cities. It's yeah. just, that's a, what they were. yeah, it's just, it looks like the definition has been twisted. I see it, you know, for example, there's, you know, you see it um, in politics today when, you know, one side of the aisle is usually, um, criticizing the other for some mm. sort of sexual well, that's I don't just know, projection something so you hear, so i've seen particularly recently um you know people calling for example today is june whatever it is it's pride month right so you have a lot of people who call this the hedonistic month if they don't like yeah. the, if they if they don't approve of well you know, i of think that. the the so, the um Speaking out both sides of the mouth problem comes up in this instance because... Right. I don't think it's an accurate way to use that word. No. But I also think that it's used so much now that the definition is changing. If you go up to someone on the street and ask them what hedonism is, they'd probably describe it as some sort of sexual perversion. Which is interesting because it... it, And this ties into what I wanted to touch on is the hedonistic nature of modern society is very prolific and this is not for me to say that you know we can't have things that we enjoy or we should deprive ourselves of um you know creature comforts that we have today it's more in the observational aspect of like i guess a good analogy would be like there's a difference between me buying a nice thing for myself um because i like it and showing off the nice thing to people you get what i'm saying like i feel like the hedonistic nature of things has gotten to this point where people will engage in something that they 
like find to be pleasurable but then they'll brag about it a prime example is the thing with the and this ties into this this sexual discussion that we were having a prime example is uh the uh the social media thing we were talking about earlier today um the uh do you lose it again yeah it, it, it was uh soft swinging that whole thing oh. and we'll keep it very brief because that's a Whoa, whole nother dis- discussion but yeah so you there's just, this, just drop that bomb yeah and move on. <laughs> so there's this whole conversation online right now amongst a group that i'll keep unnamed uh that is within a certain religious community that believes that uh that believes that um the garden of eden is in the united states i'll let you go with where you want to find that I'll let you figure figure out which group that is. Um, there yeah. is a subset, a very small subset we'll of that group, group that yeah. has some social media clout that is going yeah. through a current uh, social media crisis, so to speak, and they have termed it soft swinging. We don't need to go into that. Yeah, we're not going to go into detail. I was sharing this information with Wolf earlier, and just uh, basically social media tea. Well, and here's right. the thing. Well, here's the thing. What's interesting about that, even though, I mean, it's it's terrible from a uh, familial standpoint for, the most, for those people and, and from a standpoint of you know, uh, general morality. If you but want to talk about were theology, it as hedonistic. well, here's what's interesting is watching that is also equally hedonistic in the definitional perception of Even hedonism. paying any attention to the drama. Right? Yeah. So, so, so these yeah. things are competing levels of what we be considering folk hedonism, like anything that we engage in to the extent of high levels of pleasure that is egoistic or, um, you know, sensory in some way would be considered under that umbrella of hedonistic, um, negative hedonism. I'll just say that instead of folk hedonism because it sounds better. Um, so I th- what I see in society is this uh, very much, as you said a second ago with political parties, this pointing the finger with three fingers pointing back at you from everybody. Not to suggest that humans have to be perfect, not to suggest that we need to live this very pious scarlet letter you know, type life, but merely to observe that to live a life that is ultimately hedonistic is just as rigid and almost prison-like as living a life that would be considered ultra-religious. It's the opposite end of the coin. Same thing with, uh, with solipsism. These are forms of ideology and philosophy that have kind of spurned themselves into actual theological positions that are unspoken in society. Uh, When it comes to the solipsism aspect of it, you can take the, uh, the idea or the topic of genocide. You have to have some level of solipsism that is natural within your community to think that it makes sense, uh, you know, nixing an entire demographic of people. Just like you have to have some level of solipsism within your social community to believe that people who are homeless don't exist. And if you don't do anything to help homeless people, guess what you're doing? Pretending they don't exist. Well, we talked about solipsism. We've talked about hedonism all of these lead to nihilism right which is the third ultra boss of the isms this is this is the kingdom the mega boss three ursula well you know what i'm talking about yes i do it's the only major river that runs in the wrong direction well, yeah, that's, 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 that's good. That was a I good one. I keep trying. You know, I, that, I appreciate that one. I appreciate that one. Because in my mind, one. nothing matters anyway. 
Okay. Well, now you yeah. Well, now you annihilated the pun. Um, that was uh, that was a good. No, I was like, I like that one. So uh, to kind of bring everything together, I think that solipsism, if taken in a so- social context, hedonism, if brought in through the activities of ultimate pleasure, all lead to what ends up being nihilism. Now, for our listeners, nihilism is the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is totally meaningless. Similar to slipsism, but in def, def, in deference or difference, um, I believe nihilism actually recognizes that stuff exists. Um, now, on the philosophy note, extreme skepticism for nihilism uh, basically is maintaining that nothing in the world has any real existence. So I guess maybe they are, you know... Uh, uh, <laughs> soft swinging uh, couples. Um, it, so historically, the doctrine of an uh, came from an extreme Russian revolutionary party, uh, CE nineteen hundred, which found nothing to approve of in the established social order. And as we know historically, especially with the Russians and the Germans, they have really good friends re- focused ideologies. Like they are friends first. And they don't have enemies. Um, (laughs) Never. So, again, this is a part of a family of views within philosophy that rejects generally accepted or fundamental aspects of human existence, such as objective truth, objective knowledge, objective morality, and objective values or meaning. Different nihilist positions hold variously that human values are baseless, that life is meaningless, that knowledge is impossible, or that some set of entities do not exist or are meaningless or pointless. Contemporary understanding of the idea stems largely from uh, Nietzschean crisis of nihilism. He's another favorite uh, philosopher of mine that I wish uh, wasn't so brought to the forefront, um, in which from... Uh, from which derive the two central concepts, the destruction of higher values and the opposition to the affirmation of life. Um, the term is sometimes used in association with anomie to explain the general mood or of despair at a perceived pointlessness of existence or arbitrariness of human principles and social institutions. Um, now, to give a really good example here, in popular use, the term commonly refers to uh, existential nihilism, Uh, according to which life is without intrinsic value, meaning, or purpose. Other prominent positions within nihilism include the rejection of all normative and ethical views, which is moral nihilism, the rejection of all social and political institutions, political nihilism, the stance that no knowledge can or does exist at epistemological nihilism and a number of metaphysical positions which assert that non-abstract objects do not exist metaphysical nihilism that composite objects do not exist mereological nihilism or even that life itself does not exist um, the concept itself first took shape within the Russian and German philosophy, uh, which respectively re- represented the two major currents of discourse on nihilism prior to the 20th century, and as history has shown, is incredibly kind to others, as I mentioned a uh, second how ago. How you got through all those $10 words, I have no idea. I'm a $20 man. Epistemological, Epistemological. Epistemological. nihilism. Yeah. The stance that no knowledge can or does exist. Mm-hmm. What a sad existence that well, must I be. I think that's where this goes. It's sad. Well, mm-hmm. and it, it's it, pessimistic to the extreme. Yeah. Mm, it's, no, it doesn't even go that far. It's not even pessimistic. Pes- it, Emotions mean nothing. Would, yeah. It doesn't mean a damn thing. Well, it's just worthlessness. It, yeah. Yeah. It's you're completely worthless nothing and everything matters. around you. And Who cares? It's not even that you're worthless. It's everyone else around you is worthless too. 
Honestly, with this kind of viewpoint, why even like this Exist. is this is going to sound so awful, but why even continue existing? So and maybe that is what this leads to. So here's an interesting observation that I've had specifically in relation to nihilism over the last two years. And this ties into hedonism. Um, and I think that when it comes to hedonism, a sensory pleasures to clarify for the audience from my observation, my truth, as they say, um, like when I cut a cucumber, I cut it like Kylie. Okay. Um, no, it wasn't Kendall. Kylie. That was Kendall. Kendall. Yeah, Get I cut it, right. it like Kendall. I don't know. Get your Jenner's right. No idea what you're talking about. It's okay. I'll show Kendall you. Kendall Jenner show was you later. in it's her later. house and she was speaking with Chris Jenner. Yeah, her mom. Um, I like how I looked at you to make sure. I know. Um, and rather than taking a cucumber, flipping it and using her dominant hand to cut it, it, she took her left hand, her well, right hand, like put it underneath and put her hand over on the cucumber. Like and cut it like this. And it was very funny because the whole premise of the, the little clip, it's like a viral clip right now, mm-hmm. is that her mom is saying, do you want me to get the chef to make you a snack? Yeah. Kendall, because she's a... She's Kendall, that's why. She's I like her. I think she's hilarious, but she... But she, she is. She literally was like, I'll make it myself, mom. You don't need to call the chef. And she like has such a hard time chopping cucumber. She's you know, like, I, I gotta say, that show and shows like it, are why people become nihilists. <laughs> I've never. Um, here's the thing. Maybe I, I know all about that clip, but I've never actually watched an episode. Yeah, of Keeping I've up seen with one episode. Either, right? I saw no. one episode. It no, was hilarious, which is shocking to me because that's like my type of trash television. You should go in that direction. For some reason, I have not watched it. You've watched all of the love series. That would the, be a very hedonistic pleasure if you look at the. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Hedonistic. Almost Almost Definition. all of American society and modern first world society is hedonistic. It's actually quite interesting. Um, now, I guess my observation when it comes to nihilism, to get back to the point, um, is that I think it's really permeated throughout American society in different ways. Um, uh, now, for listeners, I'm going to say something that's probably going to piss you off if you disagree with me, but we live in a free country and you should be allowed to listen to other people's opinions, whether you agree with them or not. Um, I would consider abortion a nihilistic position. The reason I say that it might be is because not in the sense of needing it medically, but in the sense of people doing it willy nilly um, there, as I've said before on other episodes, there should be understanding of how is sensitive those situations are. I think right now the pop culture position is very nihilistic in the sense that, well, who cares? I think that's where that's trending. Uh, another one um, is when people support things without really understanding the cataclysmic emotional, phys- physical, or social damage it does to someone who may be suffering from something. A uh, prime example is the rampant ableism that's going on when it comes to supporting things that would be considered under any um you know, medical diagnosis over the last 40 or 50 years as a mental illness and treating them as not, uh, you don't give someone who's addicted to something or you don't give someone who is suffering from something affirmation and expect that to not be nihilistic towards that person. Um, that's why I struggle with a lot of these things. It's like giving a, a a cocaine addict or a meth addict or a, a alcoholic alcohol and saying, go to town. Well, that happens all the time. It's terrible. It happens on an individual basis. It mm-hmm. even happens on certain societal basis mm-hmm. now. And I, I know some of the things you're talking about, but you go up to Vancouver, BC, and there's a program in place, and it's not the only place, but it's one of the first places that started where they they will simply give you your drugs. You mm-hmm. go into place and what are you hooked on? Okay, here you go. Yep. And it isn't, it, 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 it's an, an ableist point of view 
from one perspective, from another perspective, it's it's we want these people to survive what they're going through, so they might as well have it monitored, right, and doled out in a clean fashion to avoid yeah. other problematic things well, that, that would affect society. Now, I don't agree with that. Not even close. It's one of those things where you have to kind of look at it in an abstract way. So my grandfather, you'll know this, he, uh, <laughs> well, not, I... not, not that one, other okay. one. Wait, you guys are related? Yeah, I know. It's shocking. What the fuck? <laughs> so my, um, my, my maternal grandfather had stage four lung cancer. He passed away, geez, 15 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, and when he was in the hospital and in his last days, he was still smoking the cigarettes that he had smoked every single day up until his diagnosis and, and his death. And the argument a lot of people make for that is on one, like, why would you still be smoking? Well, you have terminal cancer. Why not? Because it's, it it's, 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 it's the question. A, it, but that was a form of seeking pleasure, right? Exactly. Yeah. Back to the hedonism. So, so that's, the, that's the question you have to ask in those sense. So it's like, it's like a combination, right, of right. nihilism and hedonism at well, the same time. And exactly. to, to further that, this, was, this is not a, a, a related grandfather of yours, but mm -hmm. same side, um, one of the steps. I, I, I knew him, and I, I went the day after he had quadruple bypass surgery, and his, his he was sneaking cigarettes. His wife was sneaking him cigarettes. Super dangerous after in after a the, hospital. Yeah, and uh, you know what's interesting? And I've always I have a pretty. No, when, I don't, when, I don't when want to say hedonism become addiction. Well, here's the thing. Well, addiction would be mm. I would say addiction is probably a part of hedonism. It's probably a byproduct of hedonism. Um, so maybe not a part, but a byproduct. Uh, I think that there is rampant levels of hedonism and nihilism within the medical institutions um, in so much that we have um, systems in place that prolong people while also gouging families of fiscal um, availability uh, and not to suggest, and I've had this discussion with my brother, I've had this discussion with probably both of you. Uh, I have positions within the, when it comes to certain medical practices, um, be it keeping people alive past a certain point or uh, assisted um, suicide. Uh, suicide. I, I have positions where I can see those things as being ethical in relation to the context of a very, very minute scenario. But I also understand that society doesn't like to take things within context. They like the broad stroke things. I think the ramifications when it comes to hedonism of the pursuit of pleasure, some people gain and gather pleasure from pain. There's a contradiction there. If you were trying to pursue pleasure why would you pursue pain some people like uh there was a certain actual uh like very outlier scenario which in japan i think was when someone uh solicited being eaten alive do you remember that we it talked about that. Um, that i don't think it it might have been or japan, was russia but i think no i think it was somewhere in europe um but oh, yes yeah. they solicited you're right japan they, is a different one yeah that that's somebody i know what you're someone else of. yeah but um it, there was somebody who solicited it, um, someone who answered the ad. They mm -hmm. did it all. They had it on camera. And so the, person the person got away with it. Yeah. Because it was consensual, Well, supposedly. I don't know if they completely got away with it. I think you're conflating the story with the person in the Japan, Japan who yeah. did get away with cannibalism. It was, yeah, it was And he's a free somebody. man in Japan. He's popular, too. Yeah, he's um, famous. But... I understand where you're going. Both are, so, both are... Both kind of fall in line with what you're talking so about. So, obviously, 
that scenario, both those scenarios don't fall within the medical institutions, but things like assisted suicide, which I believe is popularized in Sweden right now. Well, it's also legal, I think, in Oregon and a couple other um, states, and um, a couple other states are looking into, I think, making it legal. And so my position... It's not federally legal, but... Well, it'll probably get there eventually. And my position on these things is obviously there's a whole litany of very uh, specific contextual scenarios that lead up to something like that and i think that there are instances in which i guess it should be considered acceptable i mean if you have a terminal disease i can see that as being like a an acceptable way to go out if you don't want to deal with something that's incredibly painful and they have no medication to provide an easy exit um but that's a whole scenario exactly so i guess to get to my point is I think that these positions specifically hedonism and specifically nihilism has have permeated pop culture to the point where people don't even realize what they're discussing is nihilism. They're discussing hedonism taken to its negative, its full extent um, rather as opposed to its condensed positive from a philosophical perspective. Um, which again, I like to relate back to the fact of being more of a thought experiment and observation about humanity as opposed to an actual way of life. Um, now I, I personally believe that these belief systems, um, as I said a sec, a little bit ago are developing into kind of a new world religion. Um, and I think they're directly related. Um, and in a lot of ways, indirectly responsible for most of the major social, cultural and historical issues that we've seen, um, in humanity. Uh, I think that when not recognized, uh, as any historian would probably, uh, say themselves when we don't recognize the atrocities of history, we're doomed to repeat them. And I think things like solipsism, hedonism, nihilism can extend to push certain people of radicalized groups or individuals specific or collective into doing things that are terrible. Um, I think solipsism eventually leads to hedonism, which leads to nihilism. And maybe it's more of a circle as opposed to like a straight linear line. Um, which eventually, at the end of the day, all of these taken to the mass extreme, as you said a little bit ago, are end in despair. Well, you know, when philosophies of any kind gather enough uh, energy, enough force behind them, enough uh, popularization, they do become religious in, mm-hmm. in the, the true sense of the word. And mm-hmm. if you look throughout our history, some of the major religions of today, even some of the ones you inferred and talked about as kind of quasi religions uh, wait 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 uh, you l ron hubbard wasn't he, this is scientology isn't go the, maverick what man. go yeah, maverick that was a great movie yeah and <laughs> but <laughs> what are you my, saying my, my point is is when when they gather enough energy they become something more yeah and then what ends up happening is the loose parameters around these philosophies get tightened mm-hmm. into restrictive elements to keep that collection of people in place and it truly becomes religion because you can look at any of the major religions of today and you look up their origins and their original um, uh, first third of their development and some of the worst things that have ever happened in our history were right out of that. Well, many would argue that you said that these are responsible for so many of the atrocities in our history and humanity. And a lot of people would argue that religion falls into that category as well. I mean, you got the Holy world wars, you got, you you know, everything, you know, inquisition. Well, what's funny, what I would say is different and why I get, I get a little uptight about that position is that's similar to saying that, uh, guns are responsible 
at the I end of the, I, I think it is because at the end of the day, humans, and when I talk about solipsism, nihilism, and hedonism, the common relation there is humans. Um, I think when it comes to certain theologies, some of them are a little bit more violent than others, but the one that people normally relate that to, just like you did a second ago, happens to be Christianity. And I think Christianity, whereas it has a lot of terrible, evil things associated with it, innately by itself, no human involvement is a book. Just well, like with a gun, what I meant, so, what I meant or by phone is a paperweight. What I ma- meant by bringing that up was that I think that religion, um, I think these qualities, while we all exhibit some shape or form of some of them in a lot of aspects of our lives, religion is often an emotional connection someone has with some idea or something, mm-hmm. and these aspects often bleed into. Um, things people or groups do in the name of religion and i think it gives it not just christianity i think it gives all religion a bad name in some way or shape or form i think of any religion that you kind of you were just joking about l ron hubbard a second ago Mm -hmm. and scientology which is obviously a um at least a united states recognized religion that's very prominent where we used to live and are prominent at least Mm -hmm. one of the most prominent places it, it is anymore but think about that. Scientology, one of the things Scientologists will argue is that they're trying to better yourself. They're trying, their whole thing is Dianetics. You're bettering yourself for the yeah, betterment of but, this, this, that. It's all hedonistic. But again, the, the down and pitfalls to defend Scientology and play devil's advocate, as far as I understand, even though I've never seen any of their writings, um, I would like to think that they don't blatantly state that we should enslave people who are part of our group and hold you, them. Well, I think you made a point a minute ago that is, is one that we should circle back to. And that's one I've made through multiple co- podcasts about the tool versus the usage and all mm-hmm. that kind of things. Things don't become what they are mm-hmm. intrinsically by themselves. They become what they are by adding what? The human element. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about religions and we talk about atrocities that have occurred or this philosophy and how it could develop into a religion and the atrocities that are in our future, because there are going to be, Mm -hmm. there always are, and certainly nihilists bring a type of philosophy, a type of religiosity, if there is such a word, to the fore that, that you can see very easily in the future how if you don't care about anything and you don't believe any of the, the constructs that are there now, then you're going to do things that are bad. Well, But the book, the philosophy itself, is not the problem. No. The people applying it in the way they deem from their own... Soph- uh, I was going to say sophistic, but I forgot the word. Sophistic. Now. No, no. Solipsism. Yeah. Solipsistic way uh, from their perception is what the problem really becomes. Well, and here's... It's, it's like with anything. I mean, you have to take these things with a grain of salt. I mean, you can... You can make, at the end of the day, someone can make anything a call to violence. We've seen that with political decisions on the right and the left and in between. We've seen that with movements of genocide in other countries. People can make totally normative, observational things a call to violence and hide behind those normative, observational things and say, well, that's why I did it. No, you did it because you chose to do it. Same with the Crusades, same with the infringements within the Catholic Church of molestation, same within the, 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 the violence within the Middle East when it comes to the extremism. Those are individual humans who chose to take something to its extreme against other humans. And when it comes to uh, topics of theology or topics of philosophy, 
or anything that is human created. And the problem that I have with a lot of this is people tend to, they, they demonize the, 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 the thing. They, oh, that's the, the thing is the prep. That thing didn't exist and that wouldn't have occurred. Okay, but you're True, ignoring but. you're ignoring that someone had to pick that thing up and utilize it in the way that they did. Interestingly, though, you're you you can't leave that up into individual decision making. Not always, uh, no realm. Because if you look at all of these things, it almost always comes down to either an individual or a small group of individuals in a position of power, a position of gaining more power, that direct the intentions of the bomb. Well, I think it's also a position of despair, you know, like the, the very watered down, boring therapist statement of hurting people hurt people is a real emotional analysis when it comes to humans. If we all recognize that other people are free to do what they want, how they, you know, to think within relation to being kind to other people and respectful to other people in the sense of physicality and decision making, um, then the world wouldn't be such a terrible place. And the world isn't a terrible place. There's a ton of good and wonderful things that come out of terrible situations. And there's a ton of good and wonderful things that come out of good situations. And the inverse can be said in the other end of the spectrum. I think the problem is that with the absence of any inherent meaning, humanity falls naturally into these negative versions of these philosophical forms of thought that we've been discussing. I think as history shows, shows and can, will continue to show and shows currently, Humanity, whereas we can do many great things for one another, the world around us and the creatures within and with the structures that we create um, and, you know, in the present and in the future, we can also degrade, um, you know, into these terrible ways of operating when we don't hold ourselves accountable to notable way of living. And I think that's where people get things confused. Mm -hmm. You know, we discussed the the terrible event in Uvalde a few weeks ago in a former podcast. We've discussed other events, and I'm sure we'll discuss other events in the future. But at the end of the day, the commonality is humanity, a tool that someone decides to use for a terrible choice, and lack of meaning, lack of purpose, lack of recognition that someone is valuable even if they don't feel like it. And you, you hit the word accountability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because the definition of accountability means you have some other person or persons that you, that you have to make an account of your actions to, to define yep. why you did what you did. Mm -hmm. But the only time that makes any sense is if there are parameters, mm -hmm. if there are rules, yep. if there are things to adhere to. And none of the philosophies you're talking about lead to anything except no rules. Mm -hmm. And it, it's uh, what, what's Marie Kondo's oh, saying? Um, she spark she says, joy. Yeah, is that what it is? Spark joy. Yeah. Uh, I think there's an interesting, even though I think she might be a scam artist. Just kidding. I think she's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even though there's an interesting aspect to how much she charges her clients, um, and and to uh, to to phrases such as that, I think there is an importance to those things, and I think that society would do good from understanding the parabolistic to make up another word with you um, nature of lessons that are very simple that have been shown to you know bring fruition and prosperity and contentedness throughout all of human history and one of them is having some semblance of rules no rules leads to chaos everyone dies too much rules leads to chaos everyone rebels and ultimately everyone dies but just enough rules 
leads to prosperity, well-being, development, um, and 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 uh, you know comfort in which most of humanity doesn't ever see. Um, and I guess the best way to end this is like we used to do with the OG Bull and Bull episodes since we're episode 51. Um, I'll end it with a quote from, ironically, Pope John Paul III. I think you mean the second. The second. Sorry, the mm-hmm. mic got in the way. Um, when freedom does not have a purpose, when it does not wish to know anything about the rule of law engraved in the hearts of men and women, when it does not listen to the voice of conscience, it turns itself against humanity and society. Hey, everyone. This is The Wolf Speaking, wrapping up yet another episode of The Wolf and Bolt Podcast. We appreciate you spending your time with us, and we can't wait for you to hear our next episode. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and family, your neighbors, the local bartender, your doctor, your boss, and hell, you can even tell us. By leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you can directly help build the Wolf and Bull cult. I mean, uh, the Wolf and Bull family. We can be found on most major podcasting platforms and social media. So what are you waiting for? Scoot on out of here and enjoy your day. But you should probably leave us a review first.